Well, good morning, Cross Point uh, Sugarloaf. Good morning, Cross Point Mill Creek. Good morning to all who are watching online. Thanks for letting me have a little bit of time away, rest, refreshed, relaxed, ready to go, ready to see my beloved Bulldogs win a national championship. And so it's all going to be good. But it's really great to be back with a church that I love so much. In all of my years of ministry, I have never seen anything like it. A year ago this past March, uh, I performed the wedding uh, of a couple that I would have bet everything I had, I believed as much as any wedding I have ever done in my life would have led to a storybook marriage. I mean, they had it all going for them. They dated several years in college. They were engaged for a year. They went through extensive premarital counseling. They were determined to build their marriage on a Christian foundation. As a matter of fact, they did something couples rarely do. They wrote their own vows. And I have a copy of those vows. And the day I did their wedding, they took these vows and they vowed to lead each other. And I'm quoting here, I'm going to lead you into a stronger walk with Christ. And I'm going to love you harder each day. Then without any advance warning, the day before their first anniversary, she sat down with her husband and said, I'm no longer attracted to you. I don't love you anymore. I don't want to be married to you anymore. She moved out. She said, don't have Dr. Merrick contact me. I don't want to hear from him. I'm doing what I believe and know that God wants me to do. There was evidence that a former high school flame got involved and the bride even admitted, you know, I've always loved him. I was just too long, too young to realize it. I'm telling you, in all my years and all the weddings I've ever done, I was stunned. And yet in a way, I really shouldn't have been because frankly, she is like a lot of people today who treat marriage like any other commodity in life. We hold on to it until we don't want it anymore, and then we just dispose of it like an empty gum wrapper. And that's why today, for the next month, we're going to be in a series on marriage. And what I did in this series was I said, Lord, if, if this would be the last series on marriage I would ever do in my life, what would I want to say to our people? What would I want to say to people who are not married but one day will think about getting married? What would I want to say to people who are married but are thinking about getting out of marriage? And so my prayer today is that what we're going to say in the next several weeks will be a package of biblical truths that will either prepare you for that day when you decide to get married or radically improve your marriage. And hopefully what I'm praying for is that this will be one of those series that you'll keep, you'll take notes on, you'll remember, and hopefully you will give to other couples who are either thinking about getting married or considering ending the marriage. I pray it will be preventative medicine that will preclude broken homes and broken hearts and broken marriages and broken children and broken families and broken friendships and broken relationships. That's where we're calling it between the three of us. Because see, from the beginning, marriage was meant to be more than just something between two people. Contrary to popular belief, it doesn't take two to make a marriage. 
It takes three to make a marriage complete because marriage is meant to be divinely united by God himself. Now, let me say something at the very outset. If you're married today, you'll know what I'm talking about. Well, you've been married a short time or a long time. doesn't matter. You know this is true. Getting married is easy. Staying married is hard. Getting married is easy. Staying married is hard. And by the way, that's true even for the most seemingly perfect relationships. I read the other day a prominent psychologist said that women tend to marry men like their fathers. And that's why you see mothers crying at weddings. Now, (laughs) mothers do cry when the weddings begin. But God cries every time a marriage ends. And in order to understand the institution of marriage, you've got to go all the way back to find out what is marriage and why marriage and what is the purpose of marriage. You've got to go all the way back to the first wedding. And you say, well, why do you have to do that? Well, I'll tell you why we're going to do it. That's what Jesus did. When Jesus was asked about marriage and divorce, he went all the way back to a book called Genesis. When Paul, the apostle Paul, talked about marriage, he uses his model, the marriage we find in the book of Genesis. That's what they both did. And both of them said that the passage we're going to begin studying today is the foundation of an understanding of God's intention for his divine invention of marriage. This text is easy to find. If you want to look along with me, go all the way back to the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, and turn to Genesis chapter 2. Now, let me just begin by saying this. Contrary to popular thought, marriage is not a human invention or convention. It is a divine invention. And the inventor alone, who is God, gets to define it. And he did so clearly from the very beginning of the human race. See, in the beginning, this is what you need to understand. Marriage was not the government's idea. Marriage was not even the church's idea. Marriage was God's idea. It was the first institution that God ever created. And you know, the way marriage even came about from the beginning is really kind of fascinating. Let me kind of take you back to the beginning. God creates the heavens. God creates the earth. God creates animals and plants and vegetation, the suns, the moons, and the stars. And every time God created something, God either said, this is good, or God said, this is very good, until you get to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. And then you read the first negative thought that's ever recorded in history. God said, the Lord God said, it is not good. Now, God had never said those words before. But now he comes to a point, he says, you know what? It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, what God saw that was not good was not a blot. It wasn't a blemish. It wasn't a flaw. It wasn't a failure. It wasn't that God had made a mistake or God had messed up. What God saw was, you know, something's not complete. Adam needs a companion, not just a buddy. He needs a companion. Now, before this, God had created all of the animals according to the story that we read. And God had brought all the animals to, to, to Adam. And, and Adam had named all the animals. But there was something that Adam had to notice. Every, Adam, every animal had a mate. There was a Mr. Elephant, there was a Mrs. Elephant. There was a a Mr. Bird, there was a Mrs. Bird. There was a Mr. Rhinoceros, there was a Mrs. Rhinoceros. Every animal had a mate. Everywhere you looked, there was a twosome. But Adam was a onesome. 
And, and, you know, I can just imagine how this conversation could have taken place. Adam, you know, looks at God and he says, you know, God, I'm, I'm grateful for all you've done and I thank you for the beautiful garden and, and all these animals, but they're just fantastic. But God, I need somebody. And maybe God said, well, well Adam, what do you have in mind? And Adam said, well, I, I need somebody who's like me, but, but different from me. And God says, well, okay, what would you like? He said, well, I like someone who is sweet and someone who is sexy and someone who is submissive and someone who will be sensitive to all of my needs. And God said, Adam, something like that will cost you an arm and a leg. And Adam thought about it and said, well, what can I get for just a rib? Now, God uses divine anesthesiology and God puts Adam to sleep and God takes a rib out of him and he creates a woman. In other words, literally, the first marriage was made in heaven. And the bride was given by God himself. And just as today, you've got this marriage that takes place in history. And both of these couples said two words, I do. Let's say those words together. You ready? I do. Let's say it one more time. I do. Now, what you're going to read in the next part of this story is what happens when you say those two words. So I thought the way we ought to begin this series is by answering a big question. What do we do when we say, I do? What do we do when we say, I do? I am convinced that most couples today that get married really don't understand what they're saying they're doing when they say, I do. Because I believe once we understand what we do when we say, I do, We'll walk into a marriage more carefully and thoughtfully and realize we were never meant to walk out of a marriage carelessly or thoughtlessly or hopefully or ideally never walk out of a marriage at all. So if you're not married, I want to say to you before you ever get married, you, I want you to really think about what you're saying when you say, I do. And if you are already married, I want you to remember what you meant when you said, I do. Do So, when I say I do, I'm saying I'm doing three things. Number one, I enter a divine covenant. When I say I do, I enter a divine covenant. Now, let me just start, begin by saying this. The marriage relationship is different from any other relationship of any kind on this planet. As, on this planet. as a matter of fact, we're clued into what makes marriage so different when you look at the very first marriage. Genesis 2 verse 20. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, <clears throat> he took one of the men's rib, man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. Now I want you to notice two things going on here that are very, very unique. First of all, up until this point, Adam had been created out of what? The dust of the earth. Every animal had been created out of the dust of the earth. Now, he could have made Eve out of the dust of the earth. There's plenty of dirt to go around. He had all the dust he needed. But it doesn't make Adam out of the dust. Instead, he makes Eve out of the rib of Adam. Why does he do that? He's telling us something. She's not just another Adam. 
She's not Adam 2.0. She's not just another creature. He's sending a message that there's something about the uniqueness and the closeness and the intimacy of a relationship between a husband and a wife that is special and is different from every other human relationship that you'll find on planet Earth. Then the second thing that's interesting is Eve becomes the only bride in history ever given away by God himself. Have you ever wondered why the father traditionally gives the bride away? Because originally the father represented God. He was a picture of God. And just as God gave the first bride to the first groom, the father representing God gives the bride away to the groom. In other words, wedding is a picture of the fact that it's actually God that is bringing two people together. Now, here's the question. Why are those two facts so important? Why is that such a big deal? Because God is sending a message, and here's the message. Marriage is a sacred covenant that is between not just two people, it's between two people and God. Now, this is that point in the message where if you're gonna go to sleep, go to sleep after the next five, 15 seconds because what I'm gonna share with you is the most important thing you're ever going to learn about marriage. You ready? In scripture, marriage is called a covenant. In Proverbs 2.17, Solomon was talking about, King Solomon was talking about a woman who commits adultery. Here's what he said. He said, you have left the partner of your youth and you've ignored, say that word with me, covenant. You've ignored the covenant that you made before God. The prophet Malachi came along hundreds of years later. He was talking about a man who commits adultery. Here's what he said. Because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You've been unfaithful to her. Though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage, what? Covenant, the wife of your marriage, covenant. The reason God established in the very beginning a covenant relationship is because this is the way God relates to everybody. I want you to listen, stay with me. God is a covenantal God. This book is a covenantal book. We are a covenantal people. You know what the Bible is? Can I help you understand what the Bible is? You know what the Bible is? I wanna make this so easy. You can basically boil this whole book down into one statement. It is one big covenant. You know, we've got the Bible divided up into two sections, right? The Old Testament and the New Testament. All right, let me give you, let me, I've already told you, let me give you a clue. What do you think the word testament literally means? Somebody tell me. It starts with the word C. Covenant. The Bible is an old covenant and a new covenant. As a matter of fact, the word covenant is used more than 300 times in the Old Testament. Now, you may be saying, okay, okay, it's a covenant. I get that. God's a covenantal God. We're covenantal people. This is a covenantal book. What's the point? Why are you making such a big deal out of it? Here's why. A covenant is far more than a contract. A covenant is far more than a contract. In a biblical covenant, you don't just sign on the dotted line. You enter into a permanent, intimate relationship with someone else. See, here's the difference. The problem with the difference between a covenant and a contract is this. Covenants are based on relationships. A contract is not. You can sign a contract to buy a home and never meet the seller. You and I both have gotten contracts in the mail that we've signed with this company or that company or this product or that product and never saw the person that wrote the contract. Well, the problem is, 
You may not even know the seller of the home that you're buying. You may not even know the person you make the contract. You may not even like them. It doesn't matter. You're just signing a contract. You're just going into a business deal. You can't do that with a covenant. In a contract, a relationship is neither relevant nor necessarily real. But in a covenant, a relationship is everything. That's why all throughout the Bible, you'll see horizontal covenants made between human beings. You'll see the most important covenants, which are covenants made between humans and God. Now, here's what makes the marriage relationship different from every other relationship. Not only is marriage a horizontal covenant between a husband and wife, it is a vertical covenant between a husband and a wife and God. That's why we go on to read in verse 24, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. All right, question. Why did God say to the man, now if you're gonna get married, you gotta leave mom and you gotta leave dad. You gotta leave brothers and sisters and you gotta leave your old home. And you've got to go and you've got to be united to your wife and her alone. Why does God do that? Here's why. When you have a mom and a dad and a child, you have a three-way relationship. And it's kind of like an inverted triangle, right? So you've got dad at the top, mom at the top, child at the bottom, right? So child answers to dad, child answers to mom, dad and mom the authority. That's the relationship you have in a family. However, in a marriage, the triangle is reversed. You have husband at the bottom, wife at the bottom, God at the top, God is the authority, and they both are, submit, are to submit to God. So in a marriage, you've not only got this horizontal relationship, you've got this vertical relationship. See, we often assume today, and this is what most people think, this is why we may have this, this, this thing called no-fault divorce. You know why, why, how we came up with no-fault divorce? Because we finally begin to assume, hey, marriage is just a contract, just like anything else. It's got a 30-day out. You don't love him anymore? Leave him. You don't like the way she cooks? Leave her. You don't like the fact he watches too much football? Leave him. You don't like the fact that he likes things you don't, you like things he don't? Leave him, leave her. It's just a contract. You can get out anytime that you want to. We've assumed that it is a contract. But from the very beginning, marriage was never meant to be a contractual relationship. It was a covenantal relationship. You don't just sign on the dotted line. When you get married, you enter into a permanent binding relationship, not just with the person that you marry, but both of you together enter into, enter into this permanent binding covenant with God. That's why at every wedding, two people take their vows with each other, but they make their vows before God. Now we know this part. Oh yeah, we're taking our vows with each other, but we forget this part. We're making our vows before God. God, so I want you to hear this. This is going to burst a lot of bubbles in this room. Can you even imagine how many times I've had people come into my office who think about getting a divorce, and I've heard these words, well, I just don't love him anymore. Well, I just don't love her anymore. All right, now, if this makes you mad, you come up and apologize, and I'll forgive you. <laughs> Staying married 
is not about staying in love. It's about keeping a covenant. Staying married is not about staying in love. It is about keeping a covenant. That's why when a husband and a wife stand before each other, a man and a woman stand before each other, and that's why when they take their vows, they say, till death do us part. Not till debt do us part. Not till discouragement do us part. Not till disappointment do us part. Not till disillusionment do us part. Till death do us part for as long as we both shall live. Have you ever heard anybody say this? You ever heard anybody say this? don't need a piece of paper to be married. I'm going to surprise you. In one sense, you're right. You don't need a piece of paper to be married. But you know why you're right? Because marriage has never been about the paper. As a matter of fact, in Jesus' day, they didn't even have paper. It's worse than that. No, you're right. Marriage is not about the paper. It is about a covenant promise you made with the God that created you. It is about a covenant promise that you said, I will die before this marriage ends. I will be killed before this marriage ends. This marriage will not end on my watch. That's why God, the God that begins the marriage is the only one that ends the marriage and the only thing ideally that should end the marriage is death. You remember that before you say I do. Because when you say I do, you enter into a divine covenant. Oh, it gets deeper. When I say I do, I make a determined commitment. When I say I do, I don't enter into a divine covenant. I make a determined commitment. Now this verse begins to make even more sense. That's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. See, marriage is more than just moving out of mom and dad's house and moving in with a man. Marriage is more than just moving out of mom and dad's house and moving into another one, uh, uh, into with a woman. Marriage is more than just changing locations. That word united literally means to weld or to glue. It's the picture of two pieces of metal being welded together or two pieces of wood being glued together. And what, what, what Genesis is telling us is, is that when two people come together for the purpose of marriage, here's what God's doing. God welds them together. God glues them together. He is the glue that holds the marriage together. And he intends for that relationships to stay together. Now, this is why this all fits together. A determined commitment flows out of a divine covenant. A determined commitment flows out of a divine covenant. Listen, let me just state the obvious. I've been married 42 years plus, and I'm here to tell you, every marriage has problems. Every marriage. Every marriage is flawed. Because the people involved in the marriage are flawed. Teresa and I do not have a perfect marriage. You know why? She's not perfect. Now, just a joke, just a joke. (laughs) Listen, listen. The difference in a marriage that lasts, here's the difference. The difference in a marriage that lasts and a marriage that doesn't, by and large, the difference is in the commitment you make to the covenant. It is in the commitment that you make 
to the covenant. But look, I get it. It takes love to build a home. I understand that. And I'd be the first one to tell you, you should only marry someone you love. But I want to say this now. So for some of you, this is going to save you a trip into my office, okay? For some of you who are thinking about one day I'm going to come in and probably say, I don't love him anymore, I don't love her anymore. Okay, if I haven't kind of upset your apple cart yet, let me give it another shot. It is not primarily your love that holds your marriage together. It is your marriage that holds your love together. It is not primarily your love that holds your marriage together. It is your marriage that holds your love together. You know why? Because love's not primarily a feeling. In fact, love really is not primarily a feeling at all. It is an understanding. I made a covenant with God that I'd stay married to you. I made a covenant with God I would stay married to you. And I have a determined commitment I'm going to keep that covenant. So divorce is not an option. Separation is not an option. You and I have to work this problem out. Let me give you a couple of analogies. Some of you have served in the military service. You'll know this. In fact, I'm reading right now a history of World War II. And one of the things as we were fighting over in Europe, one of the things that they determined as, as, a, as a big strategy, everywhere the Allies would come to a bridge, they'd blow that bridge up. Why would they do that? Why was the Allies so determined to blow up a bridge? They wanted to destroy, to destroy the ability of the enemy to cross over a river or a body of water to the people that they were trying to protect. Here's another analogy. When the police are trying to catch a criminal, if that criminal runs into, say, a, a, a skyscraper or, or a 15-story building, you know what the first thing those policemen will do? What do they do? What do they block? The exits. They block every exit, okay? They do not want that criminal to escape. Now, listen carefully. When you say, I do, and you get married, you got to do two things. You burn all the bridges, and you block every exit. You burn all the bridges and you block every exit unless there are good biblical reasons for the marriage to end, for a separation to take place. So let me just kind of add a little addendum here because we've got a lot of this going on. So you just need to hear this from me. No, I do not believe that a woman should stay in an abusive situation. I've never counseled that. I have actually counseled women to get out of a, 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 of a home and to get away from their husband if they're being physically abused or, or, or vice versa. As a matter of fact, I've had a bigger problem. Many times I've counseled it, but because there's this, this codependency going on, it's hard for that to happen. So I get it. I realize there are biblical grounds, at least one biblical ground for divorce called adultery, and I do not counsel people to stay in any kind of an abusive situation. But unless there is something extreme like that, or unless there is a biblical reason you need to burn the bridge and you need to block the exit. As a matter of fact, go back to the word covenant. Let's look at that word for a moment. The Hebrew word for covenant, you don't need to remember this, but the Hebrew word for covenant is bereith. You don't need to remember that, just kind of trivia. Bereith. And it comes from a root word. You know what the root word for covenant literally means? It means to cut. Let me ask you a question. Let's see how many of you are paying attention. How many of you have either done this or you've said it this way? How many of you ever cut a deal? Hold your hand up. You ever cut a deal? All right, yeah, we all have, right? You know, well, where did we get that phrase, we're cutting a deal? We got it from covenant. Because in the covenant, you didn't just sign a piece of paper. In a covenant, you didn't just put your name on a dotted line. In a covenant, you didn't just shake hands. You literally cut a covenant with the other party. You know how you cut a covenant? Listen to this. You would take an animal. Usually it was a sheep or a goat. You would kill that animal and you would cut that animal in half. Literally, you would cut the animal in half. You would split the animal open. 
And when you cut a covenant, the two parties would walk between the two halves of that dead animal. And what they were saying was, if we ever break this covenant, may what happened to that animal happen to us. If we ever break that covenant, may what happened to that animal happen to us and us. In other words, when you made a covenant, here's what you were saying. The only way this covenant is going to end is if you die or I die, or we both die. But as long as we live, we're going to keep this covenant. A covenant was literally a bond of life and death. It was an all or nothing agreement. And I don't have to tell you, when I'm talking about making this determined commitment, you, you can't even think about a commitment that goes higher and runs deeper and gets stronger than this kind of commitment. And, it, and, and you better remember that when you say, I do. One thing Teresa and I agreed on, we got married. We, we, do, we, we, we sat down and talked about it. And I really mean it. I'm not making fun when I say this. We said the D word will never be used in our marriage. Never. I'm not talking about dogs. Divorce. Dogs is used a lot. Divorce, never used. That's not an option. I, told, I said to her, when she got married, two, both of her siblings have been divorced. Not, not doing it. No divorce. In our, not, it's not an option. We're burning bridges. We're blocking exits. Murder, we may consider that. Divorce, out of the picture. We are not going to do it. Now, let me tell you how serious we are about this. We're, we're dead serious about this. Our church, we're not just going to appear and tell you stuff and let you go home and forget about it. Our church will provide some practical help to assist you in keeping your covenant and honoring your commitment. You'll notice today in your worship guide, we're making available at both of our campuses free marriage workshops. They're going to be taught by Christ-centered professional counselors who can help you begin to work through the difficulties that any marriage faces. All you got to do is register online. That's all you got to do. That's it. Just register online. Will not cost you a dime. We're going to pay for it. We're going to take care of it. We're going to provide it for you. And let me tell you something. Do not be ashamed to do this. A few years ago, Teresa and I, on our own, we weren't, we weren't, we've had a great marriage. We have a great marriage. But on our own a few years ago, we found out about a place out in Colorado. And we spent a good deal of money, but we flew out to Colorado for a week. And every day, we spent five days in intensive marital counseling. Why? Was our marriage in trouble? Absolutely not. Were we thinking about going our separate ways? Have never thought about that. Why did we do it? Because I realized no matter how good a marriage can be, it can be better. No matter how strong a marriage can be, it can be stronger. And I stand up here unashamedly to tell you, it is absolutely one of the best things that we've ever done in our marriage. I shed tears. She shed tears. I found out things I didn't know. She found out things that she didn't know. And I'm telling you, it's one of the greatest things we have ever done. And I would strongly encourage you, whether you think your marriage is good or not, to sign up for these free classes. I think you'll find them to be such a blessing. You say, well, why would we do that, Pastor? Why would we, count, why would we expend those resources? Because I'm telling you, marriage is in trouble. It's in trouble in the church, not just outside the church. I hear these stories all the time. I hardly go a week. I don't hear about somebody else's marriage is in trouble. And I'll tell you what really blows my mind are the marriages I've looked at, and I would have bet $1,000. Man, their marriage is great. Find out it's a sham. It's a shambles. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's smoke and it's mirrors. So I want to really encourage you to take advantage. We want to help you. 
I want you to do what I'm trying to do in my own Christian life. My number one goal right now, and I've hit the age and stage of life when I really realize it, I just want to finish well. I don't want to mess up. I don't want to mess up personally. I don't want to mess up spiritually. I don't want to mess up morally. And I don't want to mess up in my marriage. I just want to finish well. I want your marriage to finish well. I want you to be able to stand it when you take your last breath and look at your spouse, if your spouse outlives you and said, we made it till death do us part. When I say I do, I enter divine covenant. When I say I do, I make a determined commitment to keep that covenant. And when I say I do, I create a distinct connection. I'll finish up with this. Listen. So the man leaves the father and the mother. And the man gets welded to his wife. The man gets glued to his wife. All right. Then what happens? Very simple. And they become one flesh. That is not true of any other relationship in the world. A father doesn't become one with his child. A mother doesn't become one with her child. A child doesn't become one with a father or one with a mother. Two best buddies don't become one with each other. Only the husband and the wife become one flesh. A one flesh union can only happen between a man and a woman. I'm going to state the obvious. God did not give Adam another male. He gave Adam a female. He didn't give Adam two or three or four females. God's wise. He gave him one. Why? What's God saying? God's saying from the very beginning, this is the way marriage is to be. Number one is to be monogamous. And number two is to be heterosexual. It's to be monogamous and heterosexual. But you know what? We kind of stop there. Too many pastors do, but it goes a lot deeper. We were created in the image of God. We all know that, right? God, Adam was created in the image of God. Eve was created in the image of God. We're all created in the image of God. What does that mean? All right, now think about this. God is what we call a Trinitarian God. If you don't know what that means, let me just explain. We believe in what we call the Trinity, right? There's only one God, but God is one being in three persons. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God is a Trinitarian God. And marriage reflects God's Trinitarian nature in a way that no other relationship does. Because we're going to kind of pull, we're going to treat marriage like a puzzle right now. Let's take the pieces apart and let's put the pieces back together. All right, so you've got a marriage. You've got a husband, you've got a wife. You've got a man, you've got a woman. So you've got diversity. You've got a man, you've got a woman. But you don't just have diversity, you've got unity because they are one flesh. Now, they are equal in essence, but they're different in personality. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul, we may see this later on, Paul says marriage is a picture of God in this distinct connection. Let me tell you what I mean. God is one God. There's only one God. There's not two, three, or four. There's only one God. We don't worship three gods. We worship one God. There's only one God, but he exists in three persons. He is three in one, and he's one in three. Now, in marriage, the same math applies. So here's the way it works. One plus one plus one equals one. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but he's God. Now, I, don't, I can't explain that. Don't, don't, I'm not saying I totally understand that, but that's what, I, that's what you know, God's Word teaches, what I believe. So, you know, one plus one plus one equals. There's diversity, but there's also unity. Same thing happens in marriage. One plus one equals what? One, not two, one. He didn't say they become two flesh or stay two flesh. They become one flesh. So in marriage, 
two become one in God. But it gets even better than that. Marriage is the only relationship. Now think about this. Marriage is the only relationship that spans the two basic gaps of human existence. It spans the gender gap between male and female, and it spans the generation gap between parents and children. Now, think about the fact that we're talking about covenants here, okay? We're talking about a covenant. Now, think about this. What was the first visible sign of a covenant that God ever gave to the human race? And I'll give you a clue. He gave it to Noah. What was the first visible sign of a covenant? Rainbow. Right? That was the first visible sign. Moses, God said, Moses, you want to see what a covenant looks like? Okay, here's the picture of a covenant. And so he gives this rainbow. You probably know the story. You know God floods the earth. The flood recedes. God makes a covenant with Noah. He says, I promise I'm never, ever going to flood the earth again. And the sign of that covenant was a rainbow. Now, we all know that. When I was down in Florida just the last couple of weeks, I saw several rainbows. out of You know, beautiful. Let me tell you something I learned about rainbows that I never knew before, and I bet most of you never knew. There's something very interesting about a rainbow that you may not know. I didn't know. Astronauts who float in space say that when you're high above the sky and high above the atmosphere, here's what they found out. A rainbow is not a half arc. We see the half arc. They said a rainbow looks like this. It is a complete circle. I never knew that. We only see this much because of the horizon. But when you're out in outer space, you realize, wow, a rainbow's not, it doesn't go here and stop here. It goes here and it never stops. It is a complete circle that has no ending. That's what a covenant looks like. Now, if that's what a covenant looks like, and if marriage is a covenant, guess what? That's what marriage should look like. So the next time you see a rainbow, I want you to think about marriage. Because just like a rainbow has, a, has no ending, in this life, a marriage should have no ending, except death. There are three colors in the rainbow of a marriage, three colors. Color number one is a divine covenant. Color number two is a determined commitment. Color number three is a distinct connection. And those three colors of marriage can be a rainbow that shines as long as we both shall live. Now, here, I want to wrap up with this. If you don't really think what I've been saying is a really big deal, let me make it even bigger than what you realize. Because when you go over to the new covenant, and you read what the new covenant says about marriage, you know what the new covenant says marriage is a picture of? It says, the new, it says marriage is a picture of salvation. Marriage is a picture of the gospel. Here's how it works. The father made a covenant to send the son. The son made a covenant to die for the world. The spirit made a covenant to bring the father, to bring us to the father through the son. In other words, salvation is possible because of a covenant promise that was made by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So the Father, before we were even born, he said, James, I'm making a covenant with you. I'm going to send my son to die for your sins. The son, before I was born, said, James, I'm making a covenant. I'm going to die for your sins. 
And then after I was born, the Spirit said, you know, I made a covenant that I would bring you to the Father through the Son. So in other words, there I do leads to life that ends in heaven for all who believe. So may our I do leads to a marriage that ends in heaven for all who become one in him. Let's pray together. With heads bowed, with eyes closed, I want you to stop for just a moment. Whether you're single or whether you're married, I want you to hear me carefully. Listen. Not only can you not have a marriage without God, you can't even have real life without God. And there's some of you in this room right now, you're not married, and you know why that's a good thing? Because you don't even know the God that created marriage. There's some of you that may be in this room and your marriage is in trouble. Do you know why? Because either you don't know the God that created marriage or you are not walking with the God who created marriage. I want you to think about this. You know why God sent Jesus Christ? Listen to this. So that we could become a part of his bride, the church, and we could be married to God forever. But you can't be a part of his bride until you know the groom and his name is Jesus. And if today you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you don't know the God who created marriage. You don't know the God that created you. You don't know the God that created this. I just want to ask you today, would you like to know that God personally? Would you like to become a follower of Jesus Christ? Would you like to walk out of here and know not only that your sins are forgiven and that God lives in you, but you can finally either one day be the husband and wife you need to be or you can be the husband and wife that you ought to be? If you say, if, if the answer to that is yes, if you'd say, I want to know this God. I want to know this God in a personal way. I want this God to live in me. I want to follow this Jesus that died for me. I want this Holy Spirit to take me to Jesus right now. Then would you just pray this prayer with me right now? I'm going to pray it out loud. Would you just pray it in your heart? Would you just say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for my sins, and I am a sinner. I believe that God raised you from the dead, and I believe you're alive right now. Lord Jesus, today, I want to follow you. Today, I am trusting you as my Savior. Today, I'm surrendering to you as my Lord. And I ask you to take control of my life. I repent and turn away from my sin. And I accept you into my heart and my life today. Now, if today you prayed that prayer with me and you meant it and you decided to become a follower of Jesus, here's what I want you to do at either one of our campuses. In your worship guide, there's that connection point card we talked about earlier. I want you to sign your name on that card Give us some contact information, a phone number, email, something like that. And there's a box at the bottom that says, Today I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want you to check off that box right now. If you prayed that prayer with me and you meant it, check off that box right now. Now, if you check off the first box, you need to go ahead and check off the second one. I want to be biblically baptized. Because when you follow Jesus, guess where he leads you right out? I mean, right out of the gate. Where does Jesus lead you? Into the water to be baptized. Because that's the way you acknowledge publicly what you've just done privately. You need to check off that second box. You may say, well, I don't need to check off the first one. I'm a follower of Jesus. 
Have you followed Jesus in biblical baptism since you became a follower? Well, no, I've not done that. Then you need to check off that second box. And then there may be some of you here today and you'd say, you know, I want to be a part of the bride called Cross Point Church. I'd like to be a part of that bride. Check off that third box. Now, here's what I want you to do with that card at either one of our campuses. When the service is over, you go out to the lobby. There'll be a table called Connection Point. You can't miss it. Take your card to that table. Don't have to say anything. Hand your card to somebody behind that table. They'll see what box you've checked off or what boxes. They'll know exactly what information that you need. They'll give it to you. We'll follow up with you later. You'll be on your way out the door. It's just that simple. Both of our, I'll be here and our campus pastor, Chad, will be at, at Mill Creek. If you'd like to come by and meet with one of us or have someone pray with you, we'll be out there to meet you as well. Now, for all of us in this room, you're married. You entered a divine covenant. Maybe you need to renew your determined commitment. And you need to understand that distinct connection you made. And whatever we can do to help, we're going to provide all the help we need. You get help. If you need help, get it. If you're not married, here's my one piece of advice. You remember what you say you're doing when you say, I do. And my Heavenly Father, I do pray for marriages in our churches, and particularly in our church. And I know there are couples that heard this this series today, and they would not even want anybody to know they're having difficulty. Lord, I have never met a marriage that was so broken you couldn't put it back together. Never. I've never met a marriage that had such a big problem you couldn't solve it. Never. I've never met a marriage that was so damaged you could not repair it. Never. And I pray through this series that you will do just that. So honor not me or the message, but honor your word. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, listen, listen. Two things I want you to do this coming week. You're sitting there and you were thinking, man, I know a couple that needed to hear this. Okay, they, number one, tell them they can watch it online. It'll be available this afternoon. They can go watch it online. Number two, if you know people who need to hear this, tell them to come back next week. Be a part of that. All right, number three, we're going to keep saying this over and over. One of the reasons why marriages are failing, frankly, the number one reason, I've never seen a marriage yet that failed. Have yet to see it where God was not where God needed to be, not just in the marriage, but in the heart and mind of the husband and the wife. There are men and women out there, they don't just need marital counseling, they need Jesus. Who's your one? Who's the one that you're gonna say, God, over the next year, one year, just one, who's the one that you're gonna lead into a relationship with Christ? Right, Pastor, yeah. come here real quick. Yeah. Hey, listen, you guys know what it's like to uh, miss the pastor for the last five weeks. And I'm going to invite uh, Teresa and Bruce to come to the stage real quick. Uh, back in May, uh, we celebrated our 15th year anniversary of this church. And the pastor, with a vision and this. a prayer, decided that he was going to go and leap of faith and trust the Lord Jesus to do a new work in Gwinnett County on this side of Gwinnett County. And Pastor, I know what it's like to be you for the last five weeks. And these people are no more glad than I am that you're back. <laughs> listen, church family, I love this man. He is a man of character and integrity. And listen, the man is a great preacher of God's word. Pastor, we're thankful for you. We have a gift for you and Teresa. Would you please stand up and just thank the pastor for being here this morning and being back. We're so grateful for you, Pastor.
Happy 15th anniversary. Come on, can y'all hear me? Hey, I, this is so funny. I sat down over there. Ron, Ron will tell you, where's Ron? Did Ron leave? There's Ron right there. Ron's my security guy. 